Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings at Walt Disney World. I'm Carrie Hayward, and each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money saving tips to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are talking all about how to keep your Wishes Collection Disney Wedding at Walt Disney World to the minimum expenditures. When you have a Wishes Collection at Walt Disney World, there are sets of minimum expenditures that you have to meet in order to have the wedding. And yes, it is very possible to keep your expenses to those minimums. I think a lot of people see Disney and they think, oh, well, you know, forget that. It's going to be hundreds of of thousands of dollars. So today, my special guest, Jackie Hamilton, is joining me to talk about how she was able to keep her wishes collection wedding to the minimums and how she chose where she was going to splurge and where she was going to save. So welcome, Jackie. Hi, Carrie. Great to be with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show today. So before we get started talking about your wedding and how you worked on keeping everything to the minimum, let's just take a quick moment to go over what those minimum expenditures are for anyone who's unfamiliar with the Wishes Collection. I also have a complete Wishes Collection overview show for 2019 that you can check out on DisneyWeddingPodcast.com, but this will give you a little introduction if you're not familiar or you need a refresher. So the price of your Wishes Collection wedding is going to be the cost of the ceremony location fee, plus the food and beverage minimum for your guest count, plus the enhancement minimum before tax and service charge. So you have to have spent these minimums, not including tax and service charge, in order to have a Wishes Collection wedding. And what those minimums are depend on a lot of different things. The locations you choose, the time of day, the day of the week. So let's look at those very quickly. First of all, the ceremony location fee depends on where your ceremony is. So if you are getting married at the wedding pavilion, that is a $5,000 ceremony fee. It is also the ceremony location fee for one of the resort locations, which is Oak Manor Lawn at Port Orleans Riverside, because that particular location does not have a rain backup, so you have to reserve the wedding pavilion, which means you have to pay the wedding pavilion fee, even though you're not using the wedding pavilion. Otherwise, all other resort locations have a ceremony location fee of $4,000. Now, if you want to be inside a theme park, any theme park except the Magic Kingdom has a ceremony location fee of $4,500. Inside the Magic Kingdom, there are a couple options. There's the Magic Kingdom train station, which has a $15,000 location fee. There's the East Plaza Garden, which has a $25,000 location fee. And then they have an after hours ceremony option, which has a ceremony location fee of $50,000. We actually chose our Epcot theme park because we were like, why would we pay $5,000 for the wedding pavilion when we can pay $500 less for Epcot? (laughs) Right, for sure. 
So that's just the location fee. So figure out where you're going to have your ceremony. You've got your first number. The second number is the food and beverage minimum, and that depends on the number of guests you have and what time of day your ceremony is. So if you have a morning ceremony, any of the morning times, that is accompanied by a four-hour reception with a $140 per person food and beverage minimum. If you have a noon ceremony, the reception is five hours and it costs $165 per person minimum. And if you do a dinner ceremony, which is any afternoon or evening ceremony, it's also a five-hour reception and it's $190 per person. And that food and beverage minimum is for all food and beverage served at your event. So that doesn't mean you have to spend $190 just on dinner. That also includes how much you're spending per person on your cake and on your beverage package. If you do the Magic Kingdom, they have higher food and beverage minimums. There is a $10,000 food and beverage minimum associated with the Magic Kingdom train station and a $15,000 food and beverage minimum associated with the East Plaza Garden. Now, usually people do their receptions elsewhere, not inside the Magic Kingdom, because there are only three locations right now in the Magic Kingdom where you can do food and beverage, and they're not super great. I think probably the one people like the most would be Tomorrowland Terrace, but it's during the park operating hours, so you have people walking by your reception. So I think for a lot of people, when they get married inside the Magic Kingdom, they then go to the Contemporary or the Grand Floridian or wherever to have their reception, and they have to meet that $10,000 or $15,000 simply because of where their ceremony was. Jackie, did you pick the time of day of your reception based on the pricing? We absolutely did. We did do an early morning Epcot ceremony. So for us, it also made sense with the way the timeline of the day ran. But we did a brunch reception to keep the cost down. And we found that that $140 per person was plenty of food, too much food. There was so much leftover food. And it was super sad to watch it all just sit there as we all walked away. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we definitely made that decision based on cost. And we had to play around with it a little bit. We ended up cutting our pre-reception appetizers and keeping it to bare basics, you know, the croissants and everything that they throw in. And then we had a full breakfast and lunch combination menu And we ended up doing a fairly simple cake, but we thought it turned out beautiful, all for that $140 per person. That's fantastic. And that's something we're going to talk about in a minute. But just because your reception is held at a certain time of day, that doesn't mean you have to serve those kinds of foods. So if you're having a brunch, but you want to serve steak, you can serve steak. If you're having dinner and you want to have Mickey waffles, you can have Mickey waffles. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later on in the show. And that will directly tie into your costs. So you've got your ceremony location fee, you've got your food and beverage minimum. The third component of your Wishes Collection wedding is an enhancement minimum. And this is basically a number that you have to hit that you can hit by spending money on anything else that Disney provides for the ceremony and reception only. So transportation, entertainment, floral and decor, photography, videography, anything that you can book through Disney is going to apply to this enhancement minimum 
for your ceremony and your reception. Now, if you're having a dessert party or a brunch earlier that morning or anything else outside the ceremony and reception, those costs do not apply to the enhancement minimum. So let's look at what that minimum is. It's based on day of the week and location. So for resort locations, if you have your wedding or your vow renewal on a Sunday, Monday, Thursday, or Friday, that's $8,000. It goes down to $5,000 on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then on Saturday, it goes up to $10,000. Now, if you have your reception in a theme park like Epcot, then on a Sunday, Monday, Thursday, or Friday, the enhancement minimum is $10,000. On a Tuesday or a Wednesday, cheapest day of the week, it goes down to $7,000. And on a Saturday, most expensive day of the week, it goes up to $12,000. And as usual, the Magic Kingdom train station and the East Plaza Garden have their own enhancement minimums. The train station has a $15,000 minimum, and the East Plaza Garden has a $35,000 minimum. And again, even though your reception probably won't take place inside the Magic Kingdom, because you had your ceremony in the Magic Kingdom, you have to meet those higher enhancement minimums. This was really complicated for us because as we were planning our wedding, there were multiple big budget changes that happened. So the mini wishes or the catered event experience went away right before our 16-month mark. And then these higher enhancement minimums had occurred between 16 months and 12 months. So we were held to them. And it actually meant the difference of that's why we signed DFAP for our photographers. We were going to do the roots or Regina Hyman, but we had to include much more with our enhancement minimum. So we ended up using Disney fine art photography for this reason with the higher enhancement minimums. but it all worked out. It's very easy to meet the minimums. They make it very easy to meet these minimums. And then we had chosen our day of the week for our wedding in order to keep to a lower minimum. So we had our wedding on a Tuesday. It worked out great. All of our guests and us, we were all out of towners. Everybody flew into Florida. So, I mean, with airfare, it ends up working out really well for the cheapest airfare dates. And then we made a weekend out of it. Most of our guests came down on the Saturday beforehand, and we just planned more meetups for folks. So it worked out really well for us to do some of those budget tips in order to keep it to a Tuesday or a Wednesday. That's a really good point. So if you are thinking, okay, I want to do the absolute cheapest wishes event I can do, what do I have to do? That's a resort ceremony, a Tuesday or a Wednesday brunch. And as Jackie has said, this actually times out really well with what are traditionally in the United States, the cheapest days to fly, which are Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Now, we were able to have a Monday wedding for a cheap expenditure because at that time, Monday was one of the lowest priced days. And so our guests flew in on a Saturday, they flew out on a Tuesday. But if your wedding is on a Tuesday, maybe they come in on the Saturday and leave on the Wednesday. And that allows them to save money as well as you saving money because you've picked that day for your wedding. The other cool thing about having a morning brunch is that it meshes well with theme park ceremony venues. So as Jackie mentioned, when you get married in Epcot or at the Magic Kingdom, you're getting married very early in the morning. So it makes sense to have a brunch directly following it because otherwise your guests had to get up for nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. a brunch, you know, is going to be cheaper. And the other cool thing about a brunch is you are not necessarily expected to serve alcohol at a brunch. So if you really want to serve alcohol, you totally can if you want. But if you're trying to save money, you can get away with just doing something like mimosas or some other specialty beverage, or you can have none at all because people just haven't been conditioned to expect a full bar at a brunch wedding. You might have to do a little education with your guests, sometimes especially people who grew up in an earlier era. When they think wedding, they think Saturday night. So for some people, it's like, what, your wedding's at 9 a.m. and then we're going to brunch and there's no booze? But once they're in Disney, you know, they're not on their normal schedule. They're not on the schedule they would have at home if they went to a wedding. They're on vacation. And you find that most guests are happy to go with the flow. And if you tell them to be on your bus at 7 a.m. for your theme park ceremony, they might grumble about it, but they're going to love your wedding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Carrie, I absolutely agree. Um, when we were first planning our wedding, obviously we talked to everybody about the date and the day of the week first. That was something that we wanted to make sure our guests knew even before we sent out our save the dates. And we got a lot of raised eyebrows at the Tuesday morning thing, but um, we actually very intentionally chose Veterans Day weekend for a lot of reasons. But one of the big reasons is we're a family of educators. Um, about half the family is in K through 12 or higher education. So we had that Monday off and a lot of folks get Monday off of that weekend. So we chose that day. So people made a vacation out of it. It didn't really matter if it was a Saturday evening or Tuesday morning, people were in Disney. You know, all the days run together automatically when you're on a Disney vacation. So the Tuesday didn't end up being a big deal when people were there. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, the next way that you're going to be able to stick to your minimums is to keep your guest count low. So first of all, because it's a destination wedding, you're probably only going to have a 50% to a 70% RSVP rate, and it could be lower. It really depends. Sometimes you'll see people who grew up in New York, but they own DVC. Their whole family loves Disney. They go down every year, multiple times a year, and they have 200 people show up at their Disney wedding. But then if you are from Seattle and nobody in your family has ever been to Walt Disney World and most of your family lives there or in the middle of the country or even on the East Coast, you might find that you only have a 30% or a 40% response rate. So that can vary. So that will help you keep your guest count low. Another advantage to keeping it low is that you get to spend more time with your guests. I've heard some brides and grooms lament that they spent all of their wedding reception going around meeting everybody and saying hi to everybody, and they didn't even get to eat their food. Well, when you have a lower guest count, you have plenty of time to spend with them, and you get to enjoy your food. (laughs) (laughs) And another bonus is that you're going to spend less on ancillary things like favors and welcome bags if you decide to do those. Fewer guests, fewer of those to purchase. So those are things to consider. It, that's really the, the top way to keep a lid on your Disney wedding costs is to keep your guest count low. Everything is associated with the guest count. <laughs> so this was one of the biggest things we did. We only had 28 guests at our wedding. And like I said, everybody was flying from all over. We only invited 28 guests as well. But we pretty much knew everybody was going to be coming and this group, we had kind of thought that it would be too few people to have a wedding. <laughs> but <laughs> with the venues that we chose, it just worked. We kept our guest count to the 28 because our dream reception location was the attic. 
and you need to keep to, I, I think, right around that for the limit. So that was our reasoning. But the other big reason was it was just going to allow us to have more money to spend on experiences we wanted to bring to our guests and different add-ons we wanted to do in addition to being able to really personalize the experience for the guests and ourselves. That's a good point. It kind of gives you more wiggle room in the budget to personalize things when you have fewer guests. Now, the next thing you're going to want to do when you're trying to stick to the minimums is pick one or two key areas to splurge, but make sure it counts toward the minimum. So if you've always wanted to have Mickey, Minnie, Donald, somebody like that come to your wedding, that can be a good place to splurge because it's going to count toward your minimum expenditure, your enhancement minimum expenditure. If you've always wanted to have Cinderella's glass coach, that will also count towards your minimum. It's going to eat up more than $3,000, but depending on, you know, if you're looking at a Saturday night theme park wedding, then maybe you need to start adding some things to reach that number. So that would be a great place to splurge because it counts. Floral and decor is another great area to do this, especially because it can double as favors. So for instance, you can get these chocolate place cards that you would have out for your guests to help them find their seat at your reception, and that can also be their favor, and it counts toward your minimum expenditures. Now, using Disney photography, it depends on what your situation is. Like Jackie was saying, she decided to use Disney Fine Art Photography because she had to meet this minimum and they count toward the minimum expenditure. Now, if you have a very low enhancement minimum, like $5,000, and you pick the top Disney Fine Art Photography package, that's going to swallow up your entire enhancement minimum. So anything else you buy from Disney, bouquets, entertainment, transportation, venue fees, that's going to be on top of your enhancement minimum. So in that case, you might want to look into an outside photographer who charges much less than that because although that $2,000 or whatever they charge is not going to count toward your minimums, it's also going to mean that you're going to have more room in your enhancement minimum for things that you might want for your wedding that you get from Disney. So it really depends on your situation. Absolutely. We struggle with the enhancement minimum a bit because we really needed to start with what our values were and what our priorities were and go from there because so much of what you can add on you can pretty much add on anything. And so much of what you can add on within this enhancement minimum costs so much money for, for single items. So we really had to go down to basics and, and really think about what we wanted. Now, the other thing that was challenging for us with the enhancement minimum was that transportation is included. And transportation, unless you're getting some of the specialty transportation, is one of the most unsexy costs of your wedding and nobody cares people think it's free (laughs) it's just not glamorous at all but you really have to set aside some money for transportation even if your locations are fairly close together so that's something else to keep in mind um, when choosing venues is to think about you know what is this going to mean for transportation because that can certainly add up Definitely. And I have an entire episode devoted to transportation, as well as a section in the wishes chapter of Carrie Hayward's Fairytale Weddings Guide, where I lay out the prices for the different types of transportation, because I completely agree with you. It was killing me that I was spending about $1,000 on my wedding on this stupid bus for only 30 (laughs) people. Like, it turns out later, I didn't know I didn't need a bus. I could have used vans. But depending on your location, if you're inside a park, they're going to require you to charter transportation. And 
We get into this in the other show, but there's a difference in cost between charter and one-way transportation. So where you have your reception will determine whether you can get away with one-way transportation, which is a lot cheaper, or whether you have to have a charter, which sits around for your entire reception just in case Aunt Irma decides she wants to go take a nap or something. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on. And like I said, check out that episode or that part of my book because it will help you see ways to cut those costs, which are totally unsexy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, another way to keep your costs low if you are trying to stick to your wishes minimum is to customize your menu and your drinks. I think a lot of people don't understand that the menu that your Disney planner sends you is just a suggestion. Yes, it's super easy for them if you're like, I'll take the Tinkerbell menu or I want the Fauna pre-reception menu or whatever. But you can customize anything on the menu for your food at your reception. So what I always tell people to do is ask the chef to help you come up with a menu at the price point that you want. So look at how much your cake is going to cost per person, how much your beverage package is going to cost per person, and then subtract that from your minimum expenditure that you're required to pay per person for food and beverages. And that'll be the number that you tell the chef, I'm trying to meet this number. You know, it's a brunch. I'm trying to do a menu that's $60 per person and I really like barbecue and go. They can take the slightest idea. You know, I just did a party that was all 1980s Epcot themed. So we ended up cutting a lot of that because the 80s food was pretty bad. But if you have a theme, (laughs) it was cheap though. (laughs) So, But if you have a theme, you can tell them your theme. You can tell them, I really love the carrot cake cookies from Ryder's Stop, or I really love the beer cheddar cheese soup from Le Cellier. Can you build a menu that that fits into that fits at this price point? And they can do that for you. And then you are containing your costs. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you don't have to do a prepaid bar package. They have two different ways to pay for booze and all drinks. And one is to pay up front a flat fee per person, and then they get unlimited drinks, but it's a lot more money than if you pay what's called bill on consumption, where you only pay for exactly what people drink. So I have a whole show about that. It's called something like How to Save a Bundle on Your Bar. I also have several pages inside Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide in Chapter 3 that talk about the differences between a package bar and a bill on consumption package bar, because Disney calls both of them packages, that explains the differences, how to calculate how much they will cost, and how to figure out which one would be right for your group. And then, as we mentioned, your cake also counts. So once you've decided on your cake style, the pastry chef is going to come back with a price, and then you divide that by the number of people, and that's your per-person price, and you can subtract that from your per-person minimum to find out how much you have to play with for your bar and your menu. We completely customized our menu, and we did it basically by telling them we want to stay at 140. Um, and at first we were, you know, it would be lovely if we could have went above that, but it just wasn't in the budget for us. So at first we kind of danced around it and we did the big dream up at our menu tasting. And, you know, we kept coming back with these really high numbers that just weren't in the cards for us. And it wasn't until we finally said, like, we're really trying to stay at 140 that we felt like we were able to, you know, get where we were trying to go. Something that you cannot get from the catering team is individualized pricing for each item that you're adding on to your menu. Right. Um, and that was super challenging for us to kind of wrap our brains around. So, uh, you know, starting with a general idea of what you're hoping to get 
And that price point is really the most effective way to go about building that menu. So that way you can figure out what space do you have to work with for, you know, your cake or your bar package if you're doing something like that. Once we were able to clarify that with them and then saying like what we were willing to lose, we were actually able to build in enough money for a small bill on consumption mimosa option. That's just something to keep in mind that the more upfront you're able to be with where you're hoping to be for the food, the easier it's going to be for you to stick to wherever you're hoping to stay within that menu and food and beverage space. That's a really good point. And I think this is very frustrating for a lot of brides and grooms who are planning because there isn't just a list of cakes with prices to choose from. There isn't just a list of dishes with prices to choose from. There isn't a list of floral and decor. Oh, I'll take, you know, this bouquet that costs $200. <laughs> Everything is you give them your ideas, you wait a while, they come back with the price. And so it can be frustrating if you're like a spreadsheet maker like I am. <laughs> when you want individual prices. You want to say, okay, burgers are going to cost me this much. The French fries cost me that much. I'll add it all together. But if you can be patient and work with them, like Jackie is saying, you're going to end up on something that you want. It just takes a bit of back and forth. Mm -hmm. Now, what if you want to add a dessert party? Unfortunately, any extra events held on the day of your wedding do not count toward your minimum expenditures because the minimums are for your ceremony, they're for your reception food and beverage, and your reception and ceremony enhancements. So if you want to have a dessert party, it's either going to be an extra splurge, like Jackie and her husband decided that this was something that they were going to be willing to pay for beyond the minimums, and by keeping their reception to the minimums, they were able to afford one. The only other option would be if you held your reception at one of the dessert party locations. So one example is if you do an American Adventure Rotunda wedding, you can usually have your cocktail hour or your dessert party right there at Italy to see the fireworks. If you did a wedding where you went into Epcot and you had your reception at, you know, the lower French Island or something, there's a bit of a restriction. You can't start amplified music like for a DJ until after the park closes, but it's a great way to double up because as soon as you get to your reception, you get to see the fireworks and everything you're paying for there, including the fireworks viewing fees, is going to count toward your enhancement minimum. One other way to potentially save, now it wouldn't count towards an enhancement minimum, is thinking outside the box in regards to what your dessert party is going to look like. Originally, up until two months before our wedding, we had an Epcot dessert party booked. And Jeff and I heard back two months before the wedding that the ride mix-in that we had booked for that dessert party wasn't going to be able to happen anymore. So we realized that the reason we were doing a dessert party was really for the ride mix and experience for ourselves and for our guests. So we proposed a new option in Animal Kingdom where the venue fees are much lower. There wasn't a viewing fee associated with it. And just in general, the experience was much cheaper than our originally planned Epcot dessert party. And it was fabulous. And it saved us money that we had budgeted for the dessert party. That's a great point. And you got to do an amazing ride mix-in. 
But we'll talk oh, about yeah. that in a second. <laughs> I don't want to give away the, the, the yeah. surprises. <laughs> all my secrets. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's do that. Before we get to the big list of money-saving tips and the list of little money-saving tips, let's talk to Jackie about how she planned her wedding and what she was able to do to keep it at the minimum expenditures. So let's start at the beginning. And just you ended up with 28 guests. Did you say you invited 28 guests? Yes, we did. So... Just with the mechanics of us doing a destination wedding at Disney World, we live in Arizona. Most of Jeff's family lives in Oregon, but also in North Carolina. My family's in Illinois, and we've got friends all over the place. So we actually kind of did a pre-save-the-date estimate if our guests would be coming. We know we broke some etiquette rules with that, but (laughs) for us, we really didn't want our guests to feel obligated to come or to say yes by sending them something. So we put the feelers out there right as soon as we knew that we had our date, so at 12 months out. So we knew the 28 guests that we invited were coming very, very early on. And then we still went through the formalities, but we had 100% attendance at our wedding event. Wow. Now, how did you decide on the ceremony and reception venues that you ended up using? We went through quite the process for deciding our ceremony and reception venues. First and foremost, we originally started thinking about a Disney wedding because, you know, we were going to have to do a destination wedding for all intents and purposes if we were to have an Arizona wedding. All of our guests would have had to fly out here. (laughs) And we don't really know much to do in Arizona. So we decided to have a Disney wedding to give people something to do. I was never somebody who had dreamed of a Disney wedding. Jeff was actually the one who brought it up. He grew up going to Disney a lot. And then we started going together a lot when we got together, I guess. (laughs) For us, we really were challenged by choosing the right ceremony and reception venues because the reason we wanted to do a Disney wedding was because we love the immersive theming of Disney and how it really takes you to another place. And we really couldn't find a ceremony and reception venue that fit that. The other challenge we had with this was we were not flexible on our date. We really wanted to do Veterans Day weekend. So we realized Food and Wine Festival got backed up all the way to that date during the year of our wedding. And it was a three-day weekend. And also a big convention weekend. So we kept going to Disney with different ceremony venues from, you know, the wedding pavilion to Seabreeze Point. We really wanted the attic as our reception venue. So we were really trying to kind of Tetris a little bit with our ceremony, trying to do it in that area. And everything was booked. You couldn't get a backup location for a ceremony. So that's how we stumbled upon Epcot. We were really resistant to paying the higher enhancement minimum that would go along with an Epcot ceremony. However, once we committed to that, it really brought our whole event together. We chose Epcot Germany for our ceremony because we both have German heritage. And while Jeff's family grew up going to Disneyland and Disney World a lot, My family would go to, we did do some Disney trips, but we went every year to our Chicago Chris Kindle market 
um, the German festival that happens around Christmas. So the Germany pavilion just seemed to fit for the ceremony venue. And then for reception, once we decided on the Germany ceremony venue, Jeff had the idea to theme our wedding as a vintage adventure type of wedding with some travel elements. So when we couldn't get the attic after multiple tries, <laughs> we decided to do the Canada Terrace. It's one of the only venues that you can use that feels private and is in the theme parks during the day for the brunch reception. So that was a big reason why we chose it. And then we also um, really wanted our whole day to tell our love story. And we actually got engaged at Zion National Park, which is very beautiful and foresty. And we were on a hike. And the Canada Terrace definitely um, has those kinds of vibes up there with the waterfall and the trees. So once we kind of decided that it would fit with our day, we went with both of those venues. Okay, that's great. Now, interestingly, you were able to do a lot of DIY decor, even though your events were inside the theme park. Traditionally, Disney has said, I mean, obviously, you're never going to be able to use an outside vendor inside a theme park, but often it's difficult if you want to bring your own components too, because somebody has to set them up and you can't send somebody else to do that because you're in the theme park. So can you tell me a bit about how you accomplished that? Absolutely. We did it very carefully, <laughs> in short. <laughs> but going back to the beginning, it was really important for us because, you know, Disney wasn't this dream wedding that we had both daydreamed about since we were little. We really wanted to make sure it was still the wedding of our dream and that it was highly personalized and fit who we are as a couple. We wanted to incorporate our families and to be honest, without doing some of those DIY elements, I just don't think our wedding would have been very personalized at Disney. So it was really important for us to be able to bring in some different elements. We also really wanted to bring that immersive vintage adventure theme to life. So DIY was the biggest way to do that for us. First and foremost, we utilized your guide to figure out what were the elements that we were already allowed to bring in? And we truly maximized those items. So thinking through, you know, how could we use our guest book and make it more of an immersive experience? So we ended up doing a DIY photo booth guest book that was an adventure book from the movie Up. So we ended up adding all of these DIY elements because it was all associated with our guest book. So they were quote unquote allowed. <laughs> and then um, the other piece is we thought through, you know, what are the things that could be multi-purposeful? So for instance, instead of bridesmaid bouquets, my bridesmaids had lanterns that I got from Ikea <laughs> and was allowed to use them as personal floral. We filled them with floral on the inside and Disney Floral and Gifts helped me with that. But then they magically transformed into our, our cake table decor and really brought the whole look together. So, so we really tried to think of how could we make elements decorative and multipurposeful. Um, our seating chart was a bigger display that we made and customized to our theme. And then I think the third thing we did is we asked a ton of questions and we really made sure to start with our why. We 
illustrated the reasoning why we wanted to bring something in and our um, floral specialists and our planner were very open to it if it made sense and if it was for a purpose we found so um, at our planning session we brought a whole slide deck with our vision and what we were hoping for and all of our inspiration and then we made sure to communicate that it was really really crucial for us to personalize and tell our story so this allowed us to bring in vintage travel items from our families, my great-grandmother's vintage postcard collection. We did a lot with decor with that. Both of our parents collected pine cones from our hometowns, and we used those for decor, but also cake floral. So once we were able to explain the why and the purpose and the reason for the personalization, we really found that they were very open to helping us with that because they couldn't provide that. They couldn't provide us with, you know, pine cones from Oregon and Illinois, so they let us bring them in. Wow. Okay. That is a great tip. And then you just brought it all in your tubs to Franks before the wedding? Yes. Yes, we did. That was a little bit of a complicated process. So we had asked for approval for all of the things we wanted to bring and to bring everything together, you know, in the entire 12 months that we were planning with them. And then towards the end of our planning process, at about two weeks out, we were asked for our final inventory sheet. So we sent it along and I've shared it with a lot of future Disney brides and grooms um, because it was very detailed. We included photos of all of our items. We included what they were and what their purpose was for and how we wanted things set up. Obviously not micromanaging, but you know, giving some general ideas. And we sent that along ahead of time. Now, we were a little confused about who was actually setting up our items because we were told some things were our floral specialists and some were our planning and day of team. And then at that two weeks mark, it seemed like there might have been a miscommunication on the back end. And they were a little shocked with how much the list ended up being, but we were like, we got this all approved. <laughs> so yeah, we it ended up being fine and we were able to drop everything off during our rehearsal the day before. So we brought some things to the rehearsal and then brought some things to France and it all showed up and everything was set up. That's fantastic. And I really don't think it's too, you know, micromanagey to take a photo of the setup and put it in because I've heard that from a few other brides that when they do that, then Disney knows exactly how you want it and it's set up exactly how you want. Whereas if you just say, you know, set this out, it might end up on the wrong table or whatever. So that's a great idea. And we still, something I've stressed to, to some people who have reached out to me is if you're going to bring a lot of DIY like we did, you have to be able to relinquish some of the control with how it gets set up. Um, I didn't do that well. <laughs> um, I was so passionate about everything that we brought because I felt like it was so tied to our story, so tied to our theme that I wanted everything to be absolutely perfect and, you know, sent everything along. And, you know, things were still flipped the wrong way. Some DIY projects were broken. So I found myself very transfixed done some of those things throughout the ceremony and reception. So I think it is important to note that if you're going to bring a lot, just be ready to kind of let that go once you're there. I found myself wanting to like fix some of our projects and turn things around. So (laughs) that's just something to keep in mind. (laughs) Bring crazy glue in your garter. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
Okay, so when you have an outdoor in-park reception, it can limit the types of entertainment that are allowed. Did you guys do any entertainment at your reception? We did, but it was minimal. We had a violinist for our ceremony, Robert Kerr. He was great. And we actually extended him to our pre-reception and reception. Our reception ended up getting shortened the day of. So he ended up being there the entire time for our reception and we just paid a small extension fee. So it was really minimal and we had originally added on a silhouette artist. That was a really hard cut for us to make to stick to our enhancement minimum. But we did because we just had to think through what was more important to us, sticking to our budget or having a silhouette artist. And that's When we added on some of our own entertainment elements, like the photo booth that we did, in addition to adding some more things for our guests to interact with. So we added more DIY signage and family photos, and we added on other elements where they could leave us notes. So there was still plenty for them to do. And again, the reception just flies. So we didn't feel like we were lacking any entertainment. And then... I was worried that it would feel quiet up there when our violinist wasn't playing, but you could actually hear the music from the Canada Pavilion. So it wasn't like, you know, all you could hear were screaming children and people walking by. There was definitely an ambiance to it. That's great. Now, do you have any menu items or cake flavors you can recommend? Oh, the lemon cake was to die for. I dream about it. Jeff dreams about it. Our guests still talk about it. (laughs) Um, And that was something unexpected that we didn't really think we would like, let alone our guests. So we did a lemon cake with the Bavarian cream filling, but we also added fresh strawberries and it was just delicious. It was the best cake I've ever had in my life. We do not recommend the German chocolate cake, which was our other cake flavor, and nobody really liked it. We were really excited for it, but I think people said it was dry. Mm. So the lemon was definitely a winner. And then uh, people just loved the Mickey waffles. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody says that. People are just so fascinated that you're able to have Mickey waffles. And then we had a white cheddar baked mac and cheese and we added bacon and panko and we served them in individual crock dishes and I forgot to eat it but everybody (gasps) raved about it and I'm still mad at myself for not eating it (laughs) I missed both of those I forgot the Mickey waffles and the mac and cheese but everybody raved about it and then we had also had the the salmon that has the avocado mousse on it and even people who didn't like fish or said they didn't like fish really loved the salmon. So I think that those are the three big pieces we recommend. And then we did have a dessert party and we really customized our menu there. We were of the group that liquid nitrogen was no longer allowed like three weeks before our wedding. And oh. we were so excited for the liquid nitrogen spheres that we had planned We were like dreaming about them. We must dream about food a lot. (laughs) But we had to cut those and completely rework our dessert party menu three or four weeks before the wedding. So we used our resources and, you know, we follow a lot of 
Disney bloggers and, and vloggers. So we found some great new snacks. First off, we added Ohana-inspired bread pudding, which a couple of other Disney brides and grooms have done. So we did that, and they have to say it's Disney-inspired, but it tasted pretty similar, other than the fact that they're, like, building it in front of you from a pre-cooked, like, platter. (laughs) And then we did these apple cider donut hole skewers that were, they had come out as a snack in the fall in Animal Kingdom, And we were just like, oh, that sounds good. And we added it on and we did those two items, but it seemed like so much more because we had ice cream and we kept to a $21 per person minimum for our dessert party with all of that. Wow. Yeah. We highly recommend like figuring out how you can stick to your minimums with, you know, your favorite items from the parks. That was something that we wanted to do. Yeah, and then you add ice cream and that's all you need. <laughs> yeah, everybody loves the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me a bit about your dessert party? Because I have to say that having planned all these dessert parties, I have an absolute phobia of doing one that doesn't involve fireworks because I'm terrified that my guests aren't going to be entertained. So tell me a bit about how an Animal Kingdom dessert party worked for you. Yeah, this was our favorite part of the day, um, specifically the ride mix that we had at the end of the night. But um, the entire experience at Animal Kingdom was just so amazing. The way that it worked for us, um, like I said, we transitioned and changed it, you know, 60 days out from our wedding. And we were actually really surprised. We were able to get in and do our dessert party before the park closed. So we were able to meet at the front gate of Animal Kingdom at 6.45 p.m. The park closed at 8 p.m. So Jeff and I changed back into our wedding clothes. We went to the Magic Kingdom in between our wedding and our dessert party. And so we were in our the wedding dress and his, his um, suit that he was wearing. And we were able to kind of parade through the park all the way to Tamu Tamu Courtyard, which is where our dessert party was held, while the park was open. And... That in and of itself was such a cool, immersive experience for our guests, especially those that hadn't been to Animal Kingdom before. So it was that beautiful dusk time period in Animal Kingdom, and we got to walk right past the tree, the tree of life. (laughs) Our guide let us stop and take a picture there, and then we just continued on our way to Tamu Tamu Courtyard, and Tamu Tamu Courtyard is gorgeous in pictures. We unfortunately didn't have photography, so we don't have any photos. But it's gorgeous at night. There's kind of some ambient lighting. We really didn't have to do anything with decor. We added some votives that were antique gold just to to pay for something for it. (laughs) But it was a, a very small, like relaxed atmosphere in there. And for us, we were bringing together our guests after a large break in our day, um, which I know a lot of people are concerned about, but, you know, it was about four hours and people could do whatever they wanted. And again, our reception got cut short. So we had been kind of dreaming of being able to spend a lot of individual time with our guests during our reception. And that was really what we did for that hour of the dessert party. And We found that our guests liked the relaxed atmosphere and not having, I mean, they didn't know any different if there were supposed (laughs) to be fireworks or not. And for Jeff and I, it just wasn't about the fireworks. 
so yeah, it was it was a relaxed atmosphere, and guests were able to mix and mingle. We got to go speak with every single guest, and it was really a great way to wind down. We didn't end up having a farewell brunch because many of our guests left early in the morning the next day. So we actually treated this kind of as our farewell to a lot of our out-of-town guests. So that was kind of the atmosphere we cultivated there, and an hour was a perfect time for that. And then right afterward, it led into a surprise ride mix-in in Pandora. We were able to do Flight of Passage. Right after the dessert party, we actually walked all the way to Pandora. They paraded us around Pandora, and at <laughs> this point in time, the park was actually closed. So it was really kind of a private tour of Pandora at night, which was really beautiful. And I think that was, again, kind of entertainment in and of itself. There's so much to look at. And then we were escorted onto the ride at about 8.30. So it, and that was just the creme de la creme of our day. Our guests were so surprised and so excited about that ride. So for us, it was worth it for the ride mix in not to have fireworks. That's fantastic. So can you give me a timeline of how the earlier portion of your wedding day ran? Absolutely. It was early. So Jeff and I, I think, went to bed at 1.30 or 1.40 in the morning. We just had so much to do still. We both wrote our vows the night before, so that probably isn't a good recommendation to make to anybody. But um, we had to both be up at around 4 a.m. So that's when hair and makeup came because... We had photographers coming to our spaces at 6 o'clock for me, and then about 6.25, they met up with Jeff. So it was an early morning, and we did do a first look. So that's part of the reason it was so early for us. Um, we did a first look in the Canada Pavilion, kind of in the bottom area by the garden. So I think we, we were about 20 minutes behind because of various transportation challenges in the morning <laughs> but we I think we arrived for our first look at about 7 30 in the morning and we had budgeted time in the morning for us to have some photos with family immediate family in both of our respective rooms and our wedding party in both of our respective rooms so again that's why it was so early for us we really didn't think it was a big deal it's one day and we were able to sleep during our honeymoon. So <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But yeah, so we did the first look at 730. And then we had shuttled our wedding party and immediate family members out to our ceremony venue about an hour before start to do all of our family photos. And that is definitely something I cannot recommend highly enough because our parents, you know, they cried. So <laughs> the pictures were much better before our vows and before we were married. <laughs> Then afterwards, and it just added such a flow to our day. Our ceremony was at about nine o'clock in the morning over at Germany. And that rolled seamlessly into our reception. Jeff and I only came a little bit late just because we did want a couple more bridal photos with how we were a little bit delayed in the morning. Um, but we arrived during the pre-reception, probably at about 10.30. And then, you know, the rest of the day was able to kind of conclude by about one. We had some severe sun and wind the day of our wedding, and there wasn't a lot of shade, and there weren't a lot of backup plans in place for that. So we ended up 
making the call to end our reception an hour early at about noon or 12.30. So it just shortened everything a bit um, and things got pushed up a lot. But that was kind of how the earlier part of the day ran. And then there was a nice big break. We went to Magic Kingdom and then we were back at Animal Kingdom in our wedding gear. That's wonderful. When you were planning, what were the most important aspects where you focused your attention or your budget? For us, it was primarily, it was about, you know, telling our story and getting the wedding that we wanted for the price that we could afford. So that was first and foremost kind of on our mind all the time. We didn't spend a ton of time thinking about what everybody else does or looking at a ton of inspiration photos from other weddings. We really wanted to make it ours. So that was the first piece, I would say. The second piece was our guest experience. So we wanted to make sure we had, we were able to have a ride mix in, that we were able to make sure that we could transport our guests around. We didn't want them to have to pay for any type of transportation or to have anything, you know, clunky about that. Um, and then, you know, adding on really nice personalized elements to our favors and things like that. And then I think the third thing for us was the immersive theming. Like I said, that is what keeps us coming back to Disney. So we wanted what we love most about the parks to come through in our day. But we also wanted to kind of be Disney Imagineers for a wedding. (laughs) So we found ourselves really trying to make our whole wedding weekend and our wedding day very immersive with with our theme and with our love story. That's wonderful. What aspects were less important where you saved your money or your time? I think first and foremost, tradition. So we wanted to have some traditional elements of our ceremony and reception, but we were less concerned about having traditional elements in our wedding. So making sure it's on a Saturday night and, you know, having Mickey and Minnie. (laughs) That's something that a lot of people asked us. Are you going to have characters? And while we think that the characters are great and we love them, it just wasn't as important for us to have them at our wedding um, because, again, it, it was about the parks for us. So that would be the first piece. The second piece would be food and beverage. We knew that Disney wasn't going to feed anybody anything gross. So <laughs> we, and we had heard from so many other Disney brides and grooms that it's so much food. It's all good. You can't go wrong. You could probably go wrong, but (laughs) what we chose, you couldn't really go wrong with. So we did not want to spend over that minimum. We kept it at 140 for our ceremony and reception. And then we kept it really close to the minimum for our dessert party just because we didn't want to spend our money there. And then I guess the third piece would be floral. We had beautiful floral and decor, but we didn't have a lot of flowers. So this is a place where we really felt that floral and decor was, it was the best part of our planning experience. We didn't feel forced into spending more money than we wanted to. We felt like they listened and and really got what her vision was and they went with it. So we ended up spending less than $2,000 on our floral and decor. And we had a lot, we think. So Um, We did that by, you know, listening to your podcast about saving money on floral and decor. But the other piece was we really tried to use more decor than than floral and actual greenery and figured out where we could 
bring things in rather than having them do it all for us. So it really wasn't important for us to have the very wedding-esque large centerpieces and lots of flowers. So we definitely put that lower on our priority list. Okay. So what ended up being your favorite memory of your wedding day? Oh, that's a hard one. (laughs) Um, We loved our first look. Um, That was something that Jeff wasn't totally sold on at first. He didn't necessarily see why it would help the day run more smoothly. So he didn't necessarily understand all of the benefits. But we both really valued that time together. It was kind of an anxious morning for both of us, and we didn't get a lot of sleep. So it was lovely to just have that time before the ceremony and before being in front of a bunch of people. So we really enjoyed that time. We obviously loved reading our vows, and our whole ceremony was just, there was so much to love about it. We actually did our first dances all in our ceremony space, just because of the way you can't have amplified entertainment in Epcot once the park's open. So we had to move our first dances and everything earlier in in the ceremony structure. So that was another highlight. But I think if we were both, you know, putting all that sentimental stuff to the side, we would say our ride mix-in on Flight of Passage was just fabulous. Jeff's aunt was screaming and she was so excited when we showed up at the Flight of Passage line, especially since it's still set 120-minute wait. <laughs> um, and... Flight of Passage is one of those rides where you can kind of see everybody's reactions and you can hear everybody's reactions. And Jeff and I found ourselves the first time not paying attention to the ride while we were on it, but rather just listening to our guests just be completely awed by that ride. So it was a great, you know, nightcap, if you will, for our wedding day. And that was really the last time we saw most of our guests. So it was great to, you know, go behind stage then and give everybody hugs as they got into their transportation. Now, you talked about the reception being cut short due to the weather. Was there anything else that went wrong or just didn't turn out like you expected? That was honestly the biggest piece. And then I guess, I mean, our DIY project, you know, a couple things were broken or weren't facing the right way. So that was a little bit challenging to kind of see the day of. But it was resolved by, you know, either us, you know, turning things around or fixing things or just by letting it go. You know, there's only so much you can control when you do a Disney Wishes wedding. So for us, it's about letting it go that we don't have the photos that we thought we would have from that portion of our day. I mean, those are the two biggest pieces. Overall, we thought that the communication would be a little more frequent. Um, especially given the fact that we were a wishes wedding. So I think a lot of the communication leading up to the day wasn't exactly what we thought it would be. So we certainly talked that through with our planning team after the wedding. But I think that other couples could consider talking about communication preferences and what that'll look like up front before they really get started with their planning team. Hmm, That's a good point. We lost my um, rehearsal dinner, welcome dinner dresses. We did a lot of room moves. (laughs) So that was really stressful. It was like the day before the wedding and we were on the phone the entire day with the general manager of the beach club, who was really sweet. And we ended up finding those dresses, but um, we had some luggage go missing. So that was a little stressful leading up to our big day, but 
other than that, it was just such a magical experience that I don't even know if we'd remember if anything else went wrong. (laughs) So then was there anything that seemed like a big deal or you were worried about beforehand and then it turned out not to be? I think we had had a lot of conversations in our own heads leading up to telling our families and our guests where we were getting married. We had done so much research that we could have probably presented or had our own podcast <laughs> to um, share with our family about, you know, the, the positives of the Disney fairy tale wedding and what it would be like once they're there. And honestly, it went rather well in regards to, you know, inviting and welcoming our guests there that we really didn't need to be worrying as much as we were. And then I think the other piece is we were so concerned because our guests were traveling so far to be with us. We wanted to make sure we had a whole wedding weekend planned, even though we've heard so many times, don't do that. Hmm. We did. And we had a lot of, you know, optional events that guests could meet us at. You know, we went and did a monorail tour. We did Epcot one day. So we did a, a big mix of in-park and out-of-park and put so much thought into it. And realistically, it just, it wasn't worth it. The, there were so many transportation, it's so hard to navigate. And guests were just fine doing their own thing that I think that we had, you know, fretted a little bit too much about that, about, you know, filling the whole weekend with things. That is interesting. Okay. Well, these are all really great tips. So let's now move into our great big list of money-saving tips that are going to help you stick to your wishes collection minimums. So we're going to go through this list. This list also exists inside my Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide in the back of the wishes chapter. So no need to get out your pen and paper and try to write down as we go through these. These are all inside the book, but this will give you an overview of what to expect. So let's start with the biggest ways to save money. As we said before, the number one way to cut the cost of your Wishes Collection wedding is to cut your guest list. The fewer guests you invite, the lower your food and beverage minimum expenditures are going to be. We also mentioned that you should hold your event on a weekday, avoid major holidays. This is going to make sure that your minimums are lower. And as we mentioned, serve brunch or lunch instead of dinner. Even though traditionally you think of weddings being on a Saturday night, if you do brunch or you do lunch, you're going to save a lot more money than if you do a dinner at Disney. Customize your menu to a desired price point. Again, Tell them exactly how much you want to spend. Get out your calculator, figure out what your per person minimum is, subtract the cost of your cake per person, subtract the cost of your bar package per person, and then tell them that that is the number that you want to hit. And the chef is going to help you customize it so that you can meet that price point. Pick a reception venue that doesn't need as much or any decorations. I think Jackie did a great job with this. Germany and Canada and Epcot have been designed by professional Imagineers. You do not need to add anything to them. (laughs) So that is a great place that you can save some money. You can also cut down or cut out floral and decor like altarpieces, pew decorations, centerpieces, even at some place like the wedding pavilion, which I hear time and again from brides and grooms is so beautiful that you don't need to add any floral and decor there. 
You can also customize your floral to a desired price point. So if they come back and they tell you the bride's bouquet is $400 and the bridesmaid's bouquets are $250, ask them what you can get for $75 for the bridesmaids. Ask them what you can get for $250 for yourself. Go one step further. Don't have bridesmaids. I know that this is controversial, but this is my number one stress-saving tip for Disney weddings, and that is do not have a wedding party because the number one stressor I have seen in over 12 years of doing this, it is not the mother-in-law, it is not the budget, it is the bridal party and all the hassles of wrangling these people who may or may not be as invested in your wedding as you are, and they cost money. You have to provide them with bouquets, maybe you want to give them gifts, maybe you're paying for their hair and makeup, boutonnieres, things like that. You will save so much money if you just don't have a bridal party. My next sort of controversial suggestion is don't serve alcohol. You can pretty easily get away with this if you have a brunch, but, you know, some people's beliefs are such that they don't even want to have alcohol at dinner. So it's your decision. You are hosting the party. You don't have to worry about peer pressure from other people. If, you know, I was expecting to come to your wedding and get plastered, that's too bad. It's your wedding. You get to decide. So this can be a great way to save a lot of money. Use outside vendors for linens, chairs, chair covers, lighting, and other decor. So if you are at a ballroom location at the resorts, you can use outside vendors for these things and you will save half or more, or you might spend the same and you will get twice as much. I've heard all different experiences from couples who used outside vendors and they all agree that it was a great way to save money and get exactly what they wanted. So that is another idea to save a lot of money. If you're in a park and you can't use outside vendors for linens, just go with the white ones. If you really don't want to spend there, nobody's looking at the linens. (laughs) So if you can get over it, I know it was challenging for me. Some of those venues are just beautiful enough that you don't need an overlay. You don't really need anything. Um, Colored napkins can, can really dress the tables up. Yeah, that's a great point. And something I was going to mention under the little ways to save is you can eliminate things like chargers and gobos and things that nobody else is going to notice except you. Like you say, a colored napkin could cost you $3 per place setting versus, you know, a centerpiece that costs $150, $200. So that's a great way to save some money if you are inside a park and you're not able to use an outside vendor for that kind of stuff. Another big way to save some money is skip the rehearsal dinner or limit the guest list or do something alternative like everybody meets at mini golf or you get a bunch of pizzas at Splitsville and people go bowling. There are a lot of alternatives that you can use instead of a traditional catered rehearsal dinner that are going to help you keep a limit on your costs. We did something we cheaped out. I don't know. Maybe people didn't like it. Nobody said anything to us. We had a meet and greet. So we scheduled it at a time that nobody expected to eat. It gave people an opportunity to get their own lunch and their own dinner and we met in between and we just hung out in one of the common areas at the beach club villas and it was great we could talk to people and it was private nobody else came into the room the whole time we were there but we didn't have to pay for food and beverage and this was just a Mm. swap that we made because we were trying so hard to keep our budget under control Mm -hmm. we had a welcome party and invited all 28 of our guests to Fort Wilderness for Trails End. Jeff's parents graciously hosted this portion. And actually, that is the food that our guests remember the most. (laughs) They loved that barbecue. And it's one of the most affordable buffets in the entire Disney World Resort area. So that could even be something to consider. 
That is a great idea. And if you time it right, they have like campfire activities that everybody could go out and do afterwards and make s'mores. Or even one of the guests on my show, she hired a wagon for her guests that took them on a tour. Yeah. And it was some price, like 300 bucks. She got this wagon and it took them on a big tour of all of Fort Wilderness. So yeah, that is a great idea. That's perfect. Another idea is make iPhone playlists for the reception instead of hiring a band or a DJ. Now, this really depends on your personal preference because, of course, a DJ is great for getting everybody out on the dance floor. And I do recommend them if that's the kind of big happening party that you want to have. But if you're having a brunch like Jackie and I did, maybe you just need background music. And so you can make your own playlists or even use the background music at your location like Jackie did when her musician wasn't playing. That's a great cheap way to have music playing, but you don't have to pay for a DJ. You can also use outside vendors for your photography. We talked about how it depends on what your enhancement minimum is and what Disney Fine Art Photography package you might get, but you could save a lot of money by just using an outside vendor and then having that much more wiggle room in your enhancement minimum. Another idea, make your own invitations, programs, table names, place cards. From traditional sources, these can cost an astronomical amount. There are people on Etsy who can make them for a lot less, and you can probably make them yourself for even less. So that's another way to diverge from tradition and save some money. Also, you can rent Disney Vacation Club points for your resort stay. I have an episode about this, and you can also Google it. There's tons of information online about how to do this, but it's a great way if you do want to stay at a deluxe resort to stay there for a whole lot less. You just need to be sure that you're doing your planning within the timeline because sometimes it can be hard to get certain resorts if you wait too long. Okay, some other littler ways to save. These aren't going to knock, you know, hundreds of dollars off your budget, but they can all add up. Things like buying your bridal accessories, your cake toppers, your favors, buy them online, DIY them, find people on Etsy, find people in Facebook, brides groups who make Disney specific things. This is all going to be a lot cheaper than buying them straight from the bridal salon or from any of the traditional places where you might think to buy these. Ways you can cut down on floral, choose a bridesmaid's bouquet for the bride or just ask for a smaller one, especially if you're a smaller person. Traditional bride's bouquets that Disney makes are ginormous. And so sometimes petite ladies get them and they're like, oh my goodness, this thing is bigger than my head. You may not need the ginormous, traditional, expensive bride's bouquet. You could choose rose wands or just a single stem flower for your bridesmaids. Or like Jackie, you could have lanterns. And there she was able to add some floral, but still it costs so much less than having a big bouquet of flowers. It cost us $35 Wow! for the floral inside of our lanterns. And that's the price of a corsage. So think outside the box for your bridesmaids if you're choosing to have them. <laughs> They're not going to keep a big bridesmaids bouquet. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Now you can also buy or make your own artificial bouquet for your wedding, for the Magic Kingdom portrait session if you're going to do one. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars to have your bouquet refreshed by Disney Floral, you can just bring an artificial one. Or Disney Fine Art Photography actually has two or three artificial bouquets that they will lend you that you can use for the Magic Kingdom portrait session. So that might be a good alternative. Something we didn't know about is they actually have a fridge that they'll keep your bouquet in without paying for a refresh too. So we were two days after our wedding day and we didn't want to pay for the refresh, but we gave our boutonniere and our bouquet and our photographers were actually able to bring those the morning of and they were back with Disney floral and gifts. 
Wow, that's fantastic. You could also have, if they won't fit in your mini fridge, you could have Bell Services at your resort put them in their big fridge. So that's another idea. Here's another one. Provide enough toss pedals for fewer guests than you have. So if you're doing pedals through Disney, usually they say, okay, you have 75 guests. We're going to give you 75 people's worth of pedals. But you can tell them, you know what? I want 40 people's worth. And so you get a big basket. Everybody reaches their hand in. Nobody will even notice the difference. You can also, of course, provide your own bubbles like bubble guns, bubble wands. You can provide your own freeze-dried natural petals, but you cannot provide your own silk petals to toss because they're a slipping hazard and then somebody's got to clean them all up. You can move your ceremony floral and decor to the reception. In some cases, the move fee might be so large that it's not worth it, but in most cases, the move fee is way cheaper than paying for all new floral arrangements for the reception. You might have to ask a couple of times for that, too. We had to because Disney doesn't like doing this um, <laughs> because it ruins the illusion that everything's perfect all the time. <laughs> um, so we had to ask several times for this to happen, and it did happen. We basically said that we weren't going to be able to pay for aisle decor if we couldn't move things, and then we were able to do it. So ask. When Disney says we don't like to do that, that usually means that they're able to, to make accommodations in that space. That's interesting. And also it depends on your location and the flow of your day. So like if you're at the wedding pavilion and you're going to go have a cocktail hour someplace else and then your reception's at the Grand Floridian Convention Center, that gives them plenty of time to like sneak everything from the ceremony to the reception with nobody seeing. But like we basically cut out our pre-reception. And so mm -hmm. they would have told us, no, we can't move your floral and decor because there's just no time. Your guests are going to see us bringing it in. Mm -hmm. Other ways to cut costs, we talked about this, non-floral centerpieces, either DIY, bring your own things, work with Disney on ideas they have for things like floating candles, things that are going to be not as expensive as fresh flowers. Decorate the cake table with your bridesmaids' bouquets. If you didn't listen to my advice and you had 12 bridesmaids, put those <laughs> bouquets to work. Put them on the cake table. You can even get Disney to rent you a vase to put a bouquet in. So like we rented a vase for five bucks. I plopped my bouquet in it and suddenly I had sweetheart table decor. So that's a good way to repurpose those. Now, when you get to food, especially dessert, you can save a lot of money with a couple of these tips. You can cut out any desserts that are included on your reception menu. So if you are picking a preset menu and it comes with free and D's or, you know, some little sweet treats, you're going to have a cake. I mean, unless you're not going to have a cake, not everybody wants cake. But if you're going to have a cake, there is absolutely no need to serve other desserts at your reception. You are paying for this cake. Let's give people an excuse to eat it. So definitely cut those out. You could also select a smaller cake for display and then have cheap sheet cakes in the back to make up the difference. So you get a two-tier cake when you have 100 guests. You're going to need some sheet cakes to make up the difference, but they're never going to know the difference. Or maybe some people will only do like a little six-inch cake just to cut into and then have cupcakes or sheet cake or something that's a lot cheaper to serve to the guests. Another tip is not to save your top tier for your anniversary. I know this is controversial, but who wants to eat stale cake on their anniversary when you can have Disney or your local bakery make you a brand new fresh cake just like the one you had at your wedding and it will be so delicious and you will have saved money at your wedding because you actually cut into that top layer and served it instead of paying for more cake. 
And then one more cake tip that I have learned since I've started following Disney Weddings, which is a great piece of advice, is to have Disney set your cake pieces out as a buffet rather than putting a piece of cake at everybody's place. Because some people, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, some people do not like cake and they will not eat your cake and it will go to waste. So if you set them out as a buffet, the people who want cake will go pick one up and you're not going to need as much cake because you don't have to guarantee that every single person has a piece of cake. Moving on from cake, (laughs) (laughs) you can serve half glasses of champagne for your toast or toast with drinks in hand. This is a revelation to some people who don't realize that you do not have to pay for champagne just for the toast at the wedding. I know the toast is a big deal, but people are going to already have drinks. They can toast with whatever they've got, and you are going to save a boatload on champagne that you know, some people don't even like champagne. So why waste money on this special one drink when everybody can just toast with, you know, a glass of water? It doesn't matter. You can also save money by offering just beer and wine if you're doing a bar, an alcohol bar, or you can just have a signature drink. So like Jackie was able to just serve mimosas, which are perfect for brunch. It's so much cheaper than having a full bar. People don't drink as many of them. And it's a fun little kick to add to your buffet. (laughs) (laughs) And then we talked about this, cut out chargers, gobos, little details that they look so beautiful on Pinterest. But if you are trying to stick to your minimum expenditure, you do not need them. Nobody is going to miss them. I also suggest cutting out welcome bags and or favors. Favors are very nice, but I guarantee you most people are not going to take that picture frame koozie shot glass and keep it for the rest of their lives. Often you'll hear these heartbreaking tales of brides who even made favors or they spent all this money on favors and then they were just left. You know, the people didn't even take them. Same with welcome bags. You'll hear horror stories of welcome bags that are left with Disney to be delivered and then they never reach the guests or the guests just throw them away. You know, welcome bags are a really sweet idea. And as brides and grooms, we know all about them because we are studying weddings constantly up until the time of our own weddings. But regular people do not know about welcome bags and they do not expect them. So unless you just absolutely love the idea of collecting and putting together these welcome bags and you're totally okay with them not being used by your guests, I would say skip them. Similarly, make your own favors or don't have favors. Again, people are not going to expect this. It's a nice little gesture if you do it, but if you're trying to keep to a budget, this is an easy one to cut. Transportation is another place where you can save some money. If you have to do a room block, you can try blocking only at one or two resorts so that your transportation only has to go one or two places instead of going all over, which might require you to use a charter when you otherwise wouldn't need one. So if you have everybody staying at just one or two resorts, you might be able to get away with hiring one-way transportation that just goes to that resort and brings them to the wedding. And then after the wedding, they pick them up and they take them back to that resort. Usually the cheaper one-way transportation is best if you have about 35 guests or less. Like if you're going to have 75 guests, you're going to need a motor coach or two. But if you have a smaller wedding, you don't need to charter a 55-person motor coach unless you're inside a park. And even then, there are other forms of transportation that you can charter that are cheaper and smaller. That's all talked about on my transportation show and in Chapter 3 of my Fairy Tale Weddings Guide. 
If you're doing a dessert party inside the park, you can almost always have your guests meet the event guide that comes with the venue fee for your dessert party location for free at the International Gateway. Sometimes you can convince them to let you have them meet your guests at the front of the park and escort people on foot to the dessert party because at a dessert party, you're not required to keep transportation standing in the back to take people if they want to leave early. So this is a great way to save money. If you do want to provide transportation, another way to save money is to use one-way vans instead of limos. A van and a limo hold the same number of people, but a van costs far less than a limo. So unless you've always dreamed of having pictures in front of a white limo on your wedding day, a van, which usually ends up being an SUV, is going to be a great way to save some money. Another idea, ride the transportation with your guests after the ceremony and or the reception. So I've interviewed couples who they had a chartered motor coach because they had a big group, so they had to get one, but they used it to take them to the ceremony location where they did photos before everybody else. And then the bus went and picked everybody else up and brought them back. If you're not having a pre-reception, because that's a great way to save money, you could go straight to your reception with your guests. And that's another way to save money on transportation. Not having a pre-reception, a little controversial, but if you are doing a first look like Jackie did, there's no reason for a pre-reception because you don't need to then go and take a bunch more pictures together between the ceremony and the reception. So if you do a first look, you go straight from your ceremony to the reception, you can cut out drinks, snacks, anything else, entertainment, anything else you would pay for at that pre-reception by going straight into your reception. And then, of course, time-honored tip, pay all of your bills with a rewards credit card. The Disney Rewards Visa is very popular. There are other cards that give you a lot more money back, but Disney Rewards are kind of fun because you feel like you're saving them up for your honeymoon or your wedding trip. So that is it. That is the end of my giant list. Again, this whole thing is in Carrie Hayward's Fairytale Weddings Guide in Chapter 3. Well, Carrie, we used all of your podcasts and your guide and... That's how we were able to stick right to our minimums. We were just about $1,000 over, and that was our dessert party, essentially. So we actually used the spreadsheets in the back of your guide in order to make sure we were saving the most money that we could throughout our planning process. So I would just add that as one last tip. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. The reason I put those together is because it's hard to know what tax and service charge is going to be and what things get tax and what things get service charge. So those self-calculating budgets in the back of the ebook of the Fairytale Weddings Guide, you just put in what you are going to pay for every different item and it knows which ones get service charge, which ones get tax, which ones get tax on the service charge, and it calculates it all out so that you see a total that you pay to Disney, you see how much of that is the tax and service charge, and then how much is an extra amount that you're spending on things that you're not paying to Disney. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this evening. I think you have offered so many great tips for anyone who is interested in sticking to the Wishes Collection minimum expenditures at Walt Disney World, and I appreciate your taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward inviting you to join me again next week for another episode of the Disney Wedding Podcast. In the meantime, send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at disneyweddingpodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show site, disneyweddingpodcast.com. 
And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at fairytaleweddingsguide.com. <laughs>